live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Anybody worried about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills can feel free to stop worrying about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills because they made it pretty clear over the past week and a half that they're actually fine. In fact, better than fine. They're back in first in the AFC East. They just won three games away from Buffalo. I say war to Rick of Buffalo. Three games away from Buffalo. War to Rick of Buffalo. And did so in the span of those 12 days. Plus, Josh Allen is looking more like Josh Allen once again, which is to say back to putting on laser shows, slicing up defenses, and posting dubs. Now, now, if you want to worry about a quarterback in an offense, though, there is a ton to worry about. Last night on the field, especially in Foxborough, and it sure as hell was not the Bills or their quarterback. It's whatever the hell is going on with Matt the Pencil and Hoodman's total bleep show of an offense. Oh, and let's not forget Joe the Mouth Judge, the alleged leader of men. The dude's trying to wreck Mac Jones's career and have already wrecked the Patriots' offense, a.k.a. The dude's coaching Mac straight into severe regression. Yeah, what do you know? Incredible. Turns out having a play caller who has never called plays and a quarterback coach who has never coached quarterbacks is not exactly the best plan ever. In fact, it might actually have been the worst plan ever. The worst plan ever from the alleged best coach ever. No, check that. The worst plan ever from the best coach ever. Listen, I get it. Hoodman can flash all six of his rings in my face. He can say, kiss my rings, radio man, right before you kiss my ass, radio man. The dude is the most decorated head coach in NFL history. I'm obviously aware of this. We all are. However, that does not mean that his offense plan for this season is not seriously effed up. Because it is. It was. And everybody knew it. And if it was anybody, anybody other than the hood man himself, who tried to pull that bullcrap off, they would have been fired on the spot. And this is not... Hindsight being 2020, this is not some sort of armchair quarterbacking. Of course, the offense is complete ass. Not only was Patricia a horrible head coach, he hadn't even coached any offense of any kind in 17 years. But you're going to tab that chunked up, pencil rocking, failed head coach to come back and run your offense. Worst idea ever. The GOAT thought that was a good idea. Like, I don't care if Belichick could flash 100 rings in front of my face. That was one of the dumbest ideas ever. And everybody other than the alleged smartest guy ever knew that that was one of the dumbest guys ever. And again, that's not hindsight being 2020. We all knew it the second he finally admitted it. We all knew it the second he brought Fat Matt back in to do it. And letting Joe the Mouth have the ear of their second-year quarterback was only going to make it that much worse, and it has. Because anyone who has anything to do with scheming or developing that offense is now and has been officially an unmitigated disaster, starting with Belichick himself for thinking that this could ever work. And sure, you would expect that with Josh McDaniels leaving and new play callers coming in, they might get off to a slow start. That's fine. Everybody would have accepted a slow start as long as you progress steadily as you go, but they haven't. If anything, they're getting worse. And last night, they put nothing but straight ass on film for everybody around the league to see. So it was only a matter of time, and it finally happened last night. Finally. Finally. Mac Jones finally snapped. Right there, on the sideline, in prime time, in front of the cameras, and in front of the whole world. Mac Jones 
cussing out the Pats and their play calling. How could he not? He knows those clowns are not only wrecking their season, but now they're on the verge of wrecking this dude's career. And I'm not a professional lip reader. I'm not claiming to be, but I don't need to be to know what this guy was saying and what he was raging about because he pretty clearly screamed, quote, throw the effing ball. And then either the effing run game sucks or the effing short game sucks or the effing quick game sucks. At least that's how it looked. But obviously, we had to be missing something, right? Like, there's no way the Hoodman's QB just went Kyler Murray on the play caller, right? There's no way that the Patriots QB just did the least Patriots way thing ever, right? For sure, Mac would clear it all up when he hit the podium after the game. Like, any confusion, any confusion, Mac would clear up because Mac's a quality guy. Mac is built that way. Came through Bama, went on to learn the Patriot way. Believe me, my man would settle everything down and clear everything up, which is exactly what he did. He put any mystery around that outburst to bed when he clarified that what it looked like he said and meant was exactly what he said and meant. What I said was about throwing it deeper in the short game. You know, I got to execute that part better, but it's the short game that we kept going to, which was working. But I felt like we needed chunk plays, and, you know, I shouted that out to kind of get everyone going. And that's emotional. That's football. I'm passionate about this game. And um, obviously, you don't want to get your emotions, you know, get the best of you. But, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Like, it wasn't directed at anybody, just emotion coming out, and we kind of needed a spark. So, In other words, yeah, I said it. Yes, I said it. Yes, it was exactly what it appeared. Yes, if you read my lips, that's what I said. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I respect that. I give that guy so much credit because that was the least robotic answer from a Patriots quarterback at a presser in decades. Dude came right out and admitted that he was screaming at Matt, the fat Patricia. Or as he points out, nobody in particular, Matt, the fat. Throw the effing ball. The effing short game sucks. The problem with that, of course, is the short game does suck. And so does the offensive line. That's why they can't get the ball downfield. Because they're not giving this guy any time whatsoever because the play in front of him is just as bad. But to his point, throw the ball downfield. We're down 17. We're not going to catch up three yards at a time. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible in the sense that you have somebody on the Hood's sideline. The Hood man's sideline. The Hood man's team. Just going in like that. Way to go, Mac. Word. Straight up. He's not wrong. It's not like he said what everybody didn't already know. The difference is he didn't just fall into line and he was not about to cover for those jack wagons who Belichick should have never let anywhere near him or the offense to begin with. So do me a favor. Do not try putting this on Mac Jones. Do not try telling me that Belichick is Belichick, and he can do whatever the hell he wants because he's Belichick. That the young quarterback should keep his mouth shut. Hey, look, I'm not saying that Mac is Josh Allen. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. He had a pretty damn good rookie year. He had a pretty damn good rookie year when he had a pretty damn good play caller and offensive coordinator to work with a year ago. Not a couple of A-clowns running around acting like they invented the game of football when they know nothing about offensive football. And even crazier than this, it wasn't just Mac venting out frustration last night. In fact, it seemed like most of the entire offense was red-assed as hell after the game. And I don't just mean about losing. I mean about the coaching. I mean about the play calling. I mean about the entire pathetic state of offense of the offense. NBC Sports Boston reported that after the game, one player called the offense, quote, timid. 
Another admitted that they were still searching for an offensive identity in December. Not good. Below not good. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help you regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app and see terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. And then there's Kendrick Bourne. And I love this. Kendrick Bourne... No relation to Jason Bourne. Drop this bomb on the pencil from his locker in the postgame. Yeah, man, we just need to scheme up better. We need to know what they're doing. We need to know what they want to do on third down. You know what I mean? We're kind of sporadic. They, they call this and we call that, and it falls right into what they want. You know what I mean? We need to have it where it's fall, they're falling into what we want and things like that. So I said, that's not my job. It's my job is just run the call, but... Um, as we all can see, we just, they had, what, 30 first down, and we only had eight. So, like, something they were doing against us was working, and something we were doing against them wasn't working. So, like, it's just about figuring it out each week. So, we still got life, but we need to hurry up and pick it up. He, he may have lowered his voice, been kind of subdued about that, but let me help you with what's going on there. Let me talk to you for a minute about what he just said. Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne. It's Jason Bourne. Jesus Christ, there's an offensive mutiny in New England. It's Jason Bourne. Because the entire team seems to agree, schematically, we're kind of effed. Schematically, I mean, they kind of, we, we were kind of. Schematically, we have kind of a programmatic non-fit. This answer is incredible. I don't know if you can make it out. But, Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne. Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Bourne said the offense, Kendrick, not Jason, he just said the offense was, quote, sporadic. He says on third down, quote, we call this and they call that and it falls right into what they want. What's more damning than that? We're not creative. We're not aggressive. They know what we're going to run. We're playing right into their hands. And then he tagged it with, quote, that's not my job. It's my job just to run the call. But as we can all see, they had what? 30 first downs and we only had eight. End of quote. To which I would say, Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne. It's Jason Bourne. And then he said, quote, we still got life, but we need to hurry up and figure it out. End of quote. Right. Back to my original point. I knew there would be growing pains. Now check that. I knew that this would be a total bleep show. But if you want to give the hood the benefit of the doubt, sure, it was going to take a little bit of time. But now we're into December, and they're getting worse, not better. They're not progressing. It's not working. In other words, Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne. It's Jason Bourne. Dude basically just looked at Matt the Pencil and pointed at the scoreboard. Then hit him. Then hit him. He literally, Kendrick Bourne may object to this, but you know what he just did? He looked at Fat Matt the Pencil, and he hit him with a, do your job. This coach is always telling the players there, do your job, do your job. The players are now telling the coaches, do your job. Do your job. Kenrick Bourne essentially just went Jason Bourne on Fat Matt the Pencil. Do your job. Man, I never thought that I would see the day where the hood man presided over this kind of a bleep show. Goat or not. This dude does not get a pass on the bleep show that he is running in Foxborough. And I guarantee the hood man failing to win in the playoffs again because they're not going to win in the playoffs again if, in fact, they even make the playoffs. You know they're not going to win. 
it's going to piss Bob Kraft off because, like Jerry Jones, Kraft himself is on a schedule. My schedule. Hell, by the way, the hood man ain't young. The hood man should be on a schedule. My schedule. Speaking of the hood man, maybe I should call him the coat man. Maybe I should call the hood man the gigantic coat man. You see that ridiculous coat that coat man was rocking last night. It's like the hood man has lost so much off his fastball. He won't even show himself in his trademark hoodie anymore. He's no longer hard like that. Used to be, man, just cut the sleeves off. Let's go. Let's do this. Now this dude is rocking the biggest coat ever. In fact, he's not even coat man because that was more tent than coat. Hey, tent man. I know that you don't feel the need to explain yourself to the rest of us. However, you sure as hell better start explaining yourself to the dudes in your own locker room, tent man. What we think may not matter, but what they think matters a lot. And what they think is that your offense is ass. And your decision to let Fat Matt the Pencil and Joe the leader of men back into the house to run that offense is even worse. And they're not wrong, tent man. But now the entire team, the entire fan base, the entire world is looking at tent man and asking, what are we even doing here? What are we doing here? For real. Like, like, what, are like what are we doing here? Like, what, what, doing what here? are we doing here? Like, what am I here for? I'm telling you. What are we doing here? Again, there was definitely reason to be alarmed about a quarterback last night in Foxborough and an offense and a play caller and a head coach. It's just not that it was the mafia that should be alarmed. It's my fellow chowds or fellow half chowds. This has got to be one of the darkest, most drama-filled, and totally effed-up mornings in decades for my fellow half-chouts. Hey, Bill, let me ask you something. Were you wearing the medical blue tent? Players are getting banged up. They need medical attention. But they couldn't get it because they couldn't get inside the tent because you were wearing it. I mean, I guess maybe they could have crawled up inside of you while you were rocking that tent, but that would have been awkward. Awkward. I'm talking with Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com, who is describing the businesses that have benefited from a tax refund via the Employee Retention Credit, the ERC through the IRS. What kind of companies have come through as a result of hearing me talk about this message on the air? Can you give me some examples? We have a uh, Best Pizza. It's in Brooklyn, New York, 12 employees. We were able to qualify them for $56,000. We were able to gap another $56,000 for them, and they were ecstatic. We had a medical professional company in San Diego with 250 employees get $3.5 million. Their workforce was deemed non-essential by the government. And so they had a huge revenue decrease and that's how they qualified. And they, they are one of the groups that really maximized this credit. We've got a group in Kansas. That's also an employment agency. They've got 72 employees. We able to get them $167,000. And that's just three of the companies that OmegaTaxCredits.com has helped. There is time still for you to apply and determine if your small business qualifies for a tax refund like this. You've weathered the pandemic and the economy. So see if you qualify. OmegaTaxCredits.com. Kalen Carr is my guest. Kalen, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Really good to have you on, Kalen. So let me ask you first, Team USA did it. They made it out of group play. They're on the knockout round. Before we get to tomorrow's matchup with the Netherlands, what do you make of what you've seen overall from the U.S. squad throughout the tourney? I think they've really grown. If you look throughout the, the matches, um, you know, I think the standard has been really high. And I think the the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me is, is the approach. They've had no fear, I think, going into any match. Yes, did they handle the Wales match, I think, in the second half the best? No. But did they come out against England on the front foot? Absolutely. I love that about this team. It's young. It's the youngest starting lineup within the tournament um, as far as, you know, that just kind of youthfulness that comes into the group. And sometimes it helps if you might not even know any better. Um, you know, you look around the, the places that these play, players play and the pedigree that they have, 
I think they feel comfortable going up against some of the bigger names. You saw that with England. No fear, absolutely. And I think we'll see the same thing against another one. Kalen Carr joining us. I like that a lot. So what about you personally? How nerve-wracking was that second half and the final moments, even for you, as the American squad essentially was holding on for dear life against Iran? Uh, those last nine minutes felt like an hour. <laughs> I was right. here in New York at a, at a bar with uh, Alejandro Bedoya, who played with the U.S. men's national team at the 2014 World Cup, and the both of us were just sitting there being like, man, I could use a drink about now. <laughs> we were <laughs> drinking water, but I tell you what, like that was felt like an eternity. I, I credit to the guys for kind of gutting it out and, and for Christian for finding the big moment in this one because uh, I think for this young group to get, to get out of the tournament, sometimes that last 10, 20 minutes is kind of where you can see some of that inexperience show. And for them to navigate that, I, I thought said a lot about where they are right now. Kalen Carr is joining us. Speaking of Christian, the team is understandably not saying very much about his status. He said yesterday that he felt better. He couldn't commit to playing tomorrow, but he would do everything in his power to get out there. Do you expect him to be there? And if so, how effective do you think he'll be? I, I do. I think it'd be very difficult to keep him off the pitch. You know, we've all been monitoring this closely. We saw him post from the hospital. <laughs> I think he threw a curse word in there being like, I'm going to be back. And I think that's going to be sort of, you know, he's going to be desperate to play. And the other thing I really liked was from the press conference, they asked him, uh, the reporter asked him, you know, how does it feel to find this iconic moment for you? We've seen Clint Dempsey do it in the past or Landon Donovan's Algeria goal. And they were saying, well, this was the moment for Christian. He, he kind of pushed back on that and said, I hope this isn't my moment. I hope we haven't had that yet. And I love that. I, I just absolutely love that. I think it said a lot about him as a player, what he still intends to do in this tournament, and a little bit about the personality of this team where they'll relish being underdogs and they're not going to be satisfied just to be here. Uh, as That gets back to kind of the usefulness of it. And so I, I really love that from Christian, and I'd expect to see him in the starting 11 in this one. You know, Kellen, I agree with you. I thought I love that response. I had the exact same takeaway because the fact of the matter is it was his moment. It was his moment, but that's him saying, I hope it's not the only moment. I hope there's a better moment. What about Josh Sargent? Also, they're not saying very much about him. He's banged up. He's played really well. How critical is he, is he to what the team does up front? Well, he's had a, you know, a couple opportunities here in the, you know, two starts. They also used Haji Wright in the second match against England um, when they were looking for a little bit of a different profile. So there were some question marks about you know, would they continue to rotate? And now I think with the question marks of, of his health and availability, um, that might come into play as far as Burhalter's decision here. It, I did see reports that he was out at training today, which is a positive sign wearing cleats at least. So uh, as far as giving himself a chance to play a part in the game, whether from the start or off the bench, that will be big. But I really think the pressure to score goals is, is probably still going to fall on these, these wingers. We've seen Wea continue to stretch the back line, got the goal in the first one. That second one, I almost th I thought that was in. I don't know how that wasn't. I guess I'll have to defer to technology on this one. It looked level to me. But I think the, the goal-scoring prowess will still have to fall on those wingers with Pulisic and Wea and, and you know, maybe even Gio Reyna or, or someone off the bench. That, that's going to be a question mark for me. And, you know, the other piece of it is set pieces have not been good enough for the U.S. It just hasn't uh, materialized into dangerous chances. That's always been a strength of ours. And in tournament play, especially against a team where you are the underdog, you have to be efficient there. So that's another area of the game to watch. Kalen Carr joining us. Speaking of the mystery of Gio Reyna, he's only played eight minutes off the bench the entire tournament. Why do you personally think that he's not getting the opportunity to play? What's going on? It's a tricky one. You know, there's been some reports that have come out. I think Eric Winalda uh, made some comments that he's since retracted, saying there were some issues in the locker room. From everything I'm seeing, I'm not really picking that up or hearing around the team. I think some of it comes to game state. Burhalter mentioned that, you know, they've had the lead in a couple games where he hasn't come in. And the one game where we were behind, he put in Reyna in that one. Now, I actually think there's still an argument to say, just because you've got a goal, maybe don't sit back so we don't have to all suffer through those last nine, ten minutes and try and push for the second if the opportunity comes. But I think there, there's a number of options in that position. Some of it comes to the strength of the players that have been doing really well. I mentioned Wea and Pulisic. I think, you know, Tyler Adams, Leslie McKinney, um, Musa, that, those are other positions that potentially Gio could fit into. So some of it comes down to form, the strength of the team. But I still think there's something to say for Reyna. I'd love to see him get his chance and come in.
Kalen Cara joining us. So, Kalen, what about the Dutch? Stylistically, strategically, knowing what you know about them, what kind of a match do they want to play tomorrow? You know, I think the Dutch team, you know, strong defensively for sure, anchored by Virgil van Dijk, uh, as you well know, one of the best defenders in the world. And for a U.S. team that struggled to find goals, he cuts an imposing figure in this one. So that that's one to worry about. Uh, Gakpo up top has scored uh, he's been on fire. He scored in every match so far. I think one with the right foot, one with the left in the head. So uh, dangerous weapons up top. I think the midfield is really where we can push them. I mentioned that midfield three with Tyler Adams, Musa, and McKinney. I think that's where you can really get at this uh, Netherlands side because if you look back at that Ecuador game, Ecuador really was overran them in the midfield and were able to kind of create opportunities in transition. I think they outshot them 15 to, to four in that match and had to settle for a draw. So I think with that midfield strength of ours, we've seen Tyler Adams, I think, really emerge into a star in this World Cup on the field. I think the personality off the field as well is shown. He's a guy that I've seen grow up in Major League Soccer here with the Red Bulls uh, and was always way above his years, just seemed so mature, always up for the big match. And I think the world is now getting to see on the biggest stage what he's really about. You know, it's funny you say that. I talked to your guy Bedoya last week, and I asked him about the first time he saw Tyler Adams and played against him, and he shared that moment that he just did not back down. He was not afraid at all. He had that presence. So going back to really quickly, Kalen Carr, my guest, what about Sargent? If Sargent cannot go, who would you start at striker? You could, you could go with the argument with Haji Wright, but he didn't look good when he came in in the last match. And maybe you say if you set up similar to the England game again where you went with a 4-4-2, that Wright would make sense. I think that, you know, for me, I, I would actually move Weah up into the number nine, and I'd love to see either Aronson or Gio Reyna come in and play that winger position. It just seems like Berhalter doesn't really want to kind of take one peg and put it into a different place right now. And so he's sort of sticking with those traditional number nine. So if that's the case, you could see Haji Wright or, or maybe even throw a wrinkle with Jesus Ferreira, who scored goals for the team in the past. But that'd be a big roll of the dice, I think, because he hasn't featured at all in this tournament. It'd be a big ask and knockout round to come in in the 11. So, you know, keep an eye on that. But I, I still think with way in form and getting close to goal, just put him closer to goal. Sometimes it doesn't need to be so complex. And I trust Aronson. Uh, he's a fantastic player, has those minutes under his belt in the World Cup, and, and Gio Reyna is another one that you could potentially bring in then off the bench. You know, Kevin, obviously these guys work their entire lives to get to this point, but there's thoughts or reports that there's kind of a flu running through the Dutch team right now. Have you seen that? And if you're the Dutch, is that a concern? Yeah, I've seen those reports coming out, and we've seen teams throughout the tournament speak a little bit about maybe the over-air-conditioned areas and how that might be affecting the team. And, you know, if this is true and does affect this Dutch team, and the reports came out and said that it may affect multiple players within the team. And I think this U.S. team already has the youth on their side. As I mentioned, they have the energy. This Dutch team has really struggled to cope with that. At times, they've looked a little bit plodding in their buildup out of the back. And I think that could almost play into the U.S.'s favor even more so if, if for some reason this Dutch team is impacted by a, by a bug or, you know, just feeling under it. And if the U.S. team can come out and jump all over that with their energy, really, I could see this turning even further in, in favor of the U.S. team. So now, right. now I'm going from saying we were the underdogs to feeling a lot more positive about yeah, this. Right? Uh, right? I think they're both. I, 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 I was going to say. respect the Dutch team. No, excuse me, Kevin. I was going to say, I think both those things are right. I mean, we are, we, they, whatever, we are the underdogs, but you could talk yourself into it that, you know what, we're actually in a pretty good spot. So, which brings me to my point Does our best beat their best? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm able to go that far. Only because when you look at some of the quality and some of the positions that they have, uh, I think, you know, we, we talked about the number nine. That hasn't been a strong spot for us. Yes, the wingers have been going, but to go deep in a tournament, you, you'd like to have a goal scorer in form and with Christian sort of being you know, a question mark as far as his health and availability, that sort of takes it down a peg where Gakpo right now is, is really kind of buzzing and getting stronger into the tournament. And then Virgil van Dijk as well. I, I think with him, De Jong, some of the players that, that they have, it'd be tough to say on their best day that uh, the Netherlands aren't the, the best side, but you know, that's what the World Cup is about. We've seen this throughout the tournament. Japan, uh, you know, they've been a surprise. Germany's out. Belgium's out. Denmark, Uruguay, all gone. 
U.S. is still around. So you don't have to necessarily be the best team in the tournament. You just have to be the best team on the day. And that's where I think the U.S., with that youthful inexperience in a way and that energy, and without any of the pressure really compared to this Dutch team, I can see that really starting to tilt the thing, tilt the scale in favor of USA. Extremely well said. A former MLS player, 2006 U.S. Open champ, former Pac-10 player of the year at Cal, currently a correspondent and a producer with MLS, host of the How to Watch the World Cup in Qatar Without Completely Hating Yourself podcast. He's everywhere. Kalen, really appreciate that. Thanks so much. That is a great conversation. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to the program. My name is Jim Rome. Did you have a great holiday weekend? How fast did it go? How you feeling? Lots of show for you today and a lot to talk about. Let's get at it. All right, starting with the NFL. Find me an NFL head coach. You look smarter this morning than Robert receipts Sala because Mike White just made Jets fan forget that Zach Wilson ever even existed. Passing touchdown of the game for Mike White. A dude who essentially put on a laser show in a downpour. He made the easy look easy. Zach Wilson made the easy look like the hardest thing a human has ever attempted. Ross Tucker. Zach Wilson lacks confidence and he's insecure. People that are really good at what they do, they're pretty open about admitting when they mess up. Jim, I probably would have started Zach Wilson last week. Now, he can't go back to Zach Wilson until Mike White absolutely pees down his leg. Luke Fickle. That hire comes out of nowhere. I'm not just pumped because I scratch big fat checks for that school. I'm pumped because it's Luke Fickle on bleeping Wisconsin. It's good! Herbert to Gerald Everett! DeAndre Carter is my guest. I had no doubt we were going to go for two. You guys know how Coach Staley gets down. Great play call by Coach Lombardi. I had no hesitation, no doubt that we were going to get that two-point conversion and get the win. Fires left side of us. Caught! God, Jacksonville is taking the lead! I'm, so ha- I'm just like so happy for Trevor because A, he had to deal with Urban Meyer last year as a rookie. They're still talking about how bad a guy this guy was. How bad of a coach this guy was. I don't even know if he had a rookie year. And to see Perv drag through the mud yet again. Just said, we gotta, we gotta F and go. I agree. Really? Technically, Russ would have said, let's F and ride. Let's ride. Me and him on the same page. Yeah, I'm sure Purcell and Russ are on the same page. As long as that page is that Russ is washed. Dive short of the first. First down, and they have got to take a timeout here, I would imagine. Coach Bra, the clock, the clock, the clock, the clock, Coach Bra, the clock. The common sense says call a timeout, regroup. Coach Bra said F them timeouts. I didn't feel like time was really of the essence at the moment. (laughs) Hey, Romy, I don't care if on Mondays we lose. Love to see it. Practice. Practice Tuesday, win. Never mind. I can't pull that off. Thursday, games, I don't care about you. Friday, I'm in love. With Saturday, and he'll still coach on Sundays. Boye Aluakin. All I'm doing right now is show people I feel like are important in my life how good I am every week. I say it's a lifestyle right now. Hey, Coach, here's the thing. Here is your university-issued phone. It has three numbers on it. The AD, your wife, your mom. Your mom. If that's how that works, how in the world am I going to text all my hookers? Accidentally butt-dial escort services in other states. Oh, great. Another hooker coming to the wrong house. Is that the AD? I'm like, dude, what is the plan? He's like, yo, pop, bulk season. Actually, son, it's 
fat, fat season. Whoa, my face is so fat. Look at his damn face, bro. Alejandro Bedoya is my guest. Jamie, I'm good. I'm good. Good to. Uh, thanks for having me on. And great to see you become a soccer fan these days. You know it. We are holding the ball, making chances, crossing the ball in. We've had a couple dangerous plays. One could have gone in already. Pretty much dominated the game so far. They are aggressive. I'm happy to see that. Love this team. Dude, this are you nervous? Tremendous. Yeah. I can't stop fidgeting in here. Oh, yeah. I'm nervous. Yes, They're going to have a good look at it. They're still alive, no matter how much some of you want to hate. United States won. Iran, nothing. On to the Netherlands. We're on to Cincinnati. Ah! Ron Rivera is joining us. Oh, no, here we go again. No, because you know what what was happening, Jim? And unlike last season, I don't think these guys ever lost sight of the process and how close we were on the process. That's a safety. Adam Thielen is my guest. I grew up listening to him. He's unbelievable in that voice. There's just nothing like it. My beef is with your earbuds. Get my man some earpieces. It's staying in his ears. I got beef with people who shuffle their feet when they walk. No wonder you never get nowhere in life. You walk slow and you're lazy. Hey, man, my beef is where my neighbor will take his lawnmower and cut out a little square in my yard. I'll let my Rottweiler out of play us. Let's talk about the little bastard that is the elf on a shelf. Dan Wetzel. TCU could play on Saturday, lose, and get bounced out for Ohio State. They could get knocked out by the exact same team, one for not playing and once for playing. College football, it makes no sense. There was like a flash of light, and I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm going to get hit by lightning like Drew Brees was. <laughs> I know he's got a girlfriend, and I'm happy for him, but I'm not happy for me. Diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. Heart attack, 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 attack. Hey, appreciate you having me on, Jim. Had a great time. I appreciate you. Big heads, big hats. What is that animal in the background? Proud of you too, brother. I remember where we both started, battles we've had to get where we are. Appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. I love Russ. O-U-T, out. Ward, I'm out. so ubiquitous. Good night, now! Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs, too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. He is Dan Wetzel. Dan, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Good, dude, good. Thanks so much for doing it. Lots to cover, so let me jump in. The Rose Bowl, Dan, is finally on board with the college football playoff. The sport will officially expand to 12 teams for the playoff in 2024. Now that this has finally, finally happened, what is your reaction? Um, well, I think it's great. I think it's great for the sport. Um, you know, look, at if you, you take this weekend, if this was two years from now, uh, we're going into a weekend where, you know, maybe only tonight's game, USC and, and Utah, actually matters. Um, and, you know, and who wins that game. And you can make the case that USC should be in regardless, whether even if they lose, because um, Ohio State's not even playing. Alabama's not even playing. Um, you go into this weekend, every one of these games this weekend will matter for seeding, for getting a bye, for teams trying to still get into the back end of the thing. Like the, the, the two-lane uh, UCF game would be for a, a spot in the playoff and a potential like game at Ohio State would be like the biggest moment in either program's history. Uh, that would matter. Like this entire weekend would be so much more exciting. And then we'd pop a couple weeks early and we would have home playoff games at, if, if the standing stuck right now, Ohio Stadium, Knoxville, uh, Tuscaloosa, and Penn State four of the six or seven biggest stadiums in the country, six or seven of the most iconic things would host playoff games in a, in a few weeks. And then the winners would go on and eventually they should extend these home fields. But you add all of that and the chase to get into that top 12, you just have so many meaning, meaningful games. 
where, you know, you go into a weekend like this and you're like, all right, college football, we're all pumped. And it's like, yeah, Michigan can lose. Georgia can lose. TCU could probably lose. And you're like, what are we watching? So the whole thing is going to be better and more exciting. It took a long, long time to get here. But uh, college football moves slow, but it's it's finally made a lot of progress. Dan Wessel joining us. Fact of the matter is, it's an incredible thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a thing that should have happened a long time ago. It's a thing that you had to wonder if it was ever going to happen. And one more thought about that. You have a great column up about this, but you want to talk about set in your ways. I mean, the powers that be regarding the Rose Bowl, refused to even move their TV window up a single hour to accommodate anybody or anything else. For those who do not know why, what was their reason for refusing to move even an hour? Well, the Rose Bowl was set on, uh, you know, <laughs> the Rose Bowl's always had this exclusive television window uh, on, on New Year's Day, and it's extremely valuable, obviously, because people want to watch college football that day. And they like having their sun, the sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains right at the start of the fourth quarter. And because of that, they want to start their game at 2 p.m. in L.A., 5 p.m. in the East Coast. And even if they would move that thing to 4 p.m., this was one proposal at one point, um, and they could put semifinals at like 12.30 and 8 and kind of go around the Rose Bowl. I would have just given the Rose Bowl a semifinal every time, but regardless – they did, they're like, no, no, we want that sunset to hit right at the, right at the end of the third quarter. It's perfect. And it, it kind of is, but it was holding up. And it, I tell, you tell people for years, there's a sun, the sunset in L.A. on, 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 on Pasadena on, on the 1st of uh, January is holding up this sport. It's one of the things holding up this sport. And no one would believe you, but it was true. They finally got the Rose Bowl to say, look, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to bend and um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to play ball with everybody else. And that was the final hurdle to get this playoff going. But, yeah, they they were hung up on their sunset. The big thing to change, though, SoFi Stadium. You build that thing and you say, hey, we love you, Rose Bowl. We don't need you. we got a $6 billion stadium right down the road that's actually better for us to stage big games in because of all the luxury boxes and all the parking and all the accessibility. So Rose Bowl – had its run, but uh, it's no longer anything special. It's incredible. And it's all true, by the way. That might not be the only reason, but that is a reason. And we know that they were never, ever going to change. And so they built that $5 billion edifice that's incredible and sparkling right up the way. And then they had a hammer, and then they had to get on board. But it really is funny, and it's true. Dan Wetzel is joining us. Dan, you touched on this about how USC is going to play and shouldn't have to win but might have to win. Lay this out. You've made the point before. It seems kind of self-explanatory, but if nobody is able to play their way in this year, is there a reason why anybody should be possibly in danger of playing their way out? In other words, should USC have to win the Pac-12 title to get in the playoff or stay in the playoff? They should not. And uh, this is a logic-based and like intellect- intellectually sound argument, which I know is dangerous when discussing college football. But the committee has decided after 12 games that USC is more deserving of a playoff spot than Ohio State. They have made that determination. They voted on Tuesday, and they put out the thing. Ohio State does not play this weekend. Neither does Alabama, Tennessee, or Penn State. That's teams 5, 6, 7, and 8. 1, 2, 3, 4 do play, including number 4 USC. If you've determined after 12 games that USC is superior to Ohio State, then you can't sit there and say, now I'm going to ask you, USC, and you alone, to go prove it again. And you risk losing, but Ohio State risks nothing and just sits around. It's like somebody wins the marathon, and then you say, hey, I need you to run three more miles (laughs) while the other guy sits here. And if we don't like the way you run the next three miles, then we're going to declare the guy you just beat to be the champion. It doesn't make any sense. It, It just is a pure logic thing. If after 12 games, some teams season is over and there's they can't play their way in then you shouldn't have to do the unfair and unique burden of playing a 13th game so usc should be in this thing now logic will not i don't believe this argument will carry any weight with the committee because i don't think they they comprehend it think about it and they just kind of get wrapped up in in all the bit but 
The thirteenth game shouldn't punish you. Let me give you a real quick example. Sure. Because okay? this could happen with TCU. I think they're safe, but in 2014, TCU only played 12 games because they didn't have a Big 12 championship game. They went into the final week um, at 10-1. and one. They were ranked third in the country. They won. They defeated Iowa State 55-3 to and went to 11-1. and one. But they only, played 11, they, only had, they only played 12 games. Ohio State was ranked outside the, the, the uh, top four, but they won the Big 10 championship game and won their in their 13th game. And as such, they moved TCU from three to six and Ohio state bumped TCU out. And the theory was you didn't play a 13th game. Ohio state did. You're going to be punished because you only played 12 games. The big 12 creates a championship game after that so that their teams always play a 13th game. This year, TCU is 12 and 0. They're ranked third. Ohio state is fifth and they do not play because they're not in the Big Ten Championship game. So TCU could play on Saturday, lose, and get bounced out for you, Ohio State, this time because they had to play a 13th game. (laughs) Incredible, right? So in an eight-year plan, they could get knocked out by the exact same team once for not playing and once for playing. That's college football. It makes no sense. Right, exactly. If you're logical and you make an intellectual argument, it's going to be fine, but that's not what that is. Let me ask you then, to your point, what if TCU does lose in the Big 12 title game against a very good Kansas State team? Are they any better served or are they in a better spot to withstand that loss than USC? In other words, could they lose and still be in? Yeah, I think they can for two reasons. One, they, they have 12 victories. So they have one more victory than Ohio State. And they have two more than, than Alabama. And those two teams are stuck at 10 and 11. So you already have an extra victory. And Kansas State's ranked 10th. And if they lose that game, barring a total blowout, uh, even with the – I don't care, really care how, but let's say they lose by five points or eight points or whatever. You've lost to a top 10 team at a neutral site, and that's your only loss. So I, I don't know how you would punish someone so so much when they have an extra win. They, and, and again, you're now punishing a team for having to play an extra game, for earning an extra game. The, the, the benefit of the doubt should always be to the team that has to play that 13th game, not to the team that's sitting at home, not risking anything. Talking to Dan Wetzel for another moment or so. So really quickly, Dan, what about the coaching carousel before I let you go? What's your reaction to Hugh Freeze getting that Auburn job, for instance, is this guy the best that they could do? And what is your reaction to that hiring? Well, Deion Sanders is sitting there. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, is he the best they could do? No, probably not. But uh, this is the guy they're comfortable with. They want to win. They believe he'll win. Um, they don't really care about, you know, baggage or, or what he did or what he said to recruits or what, how he treated his players or – NCA rules or anything else. This is Auburn. They just want to win. They are hung up on winning. They will hire coaches, fire coaches. Even if you're a winning coach, you get fired. Um, they're paying tens of millions in buyouts to all sorts of coaches. Uh, it's, it's sort of the perfect marriage of a chaos program and a chaos coach, both of whom uh, can self-inflict uh, all sorts of harm on themselves, but also can, can carry to incredible heights. It's, it's, it's like kind of a perfect marriage, but – Man, we'll see what happens with Deion Sanders, but you put Deion Sanders at Auburn, and he's going to have a top three recruiting class every year. And he's like the lottery ticket in the Southeast on, I'll take my risk on, geez, will his coaching ability stand up moving from from FCS to, to, to the SEC, or can he handle running a program this big? I, I'd never doubt Deion Sanders can do anything, but that, those are your questions, or is he is – he, going to hang out with our boosters. No, he's not. But, man, he's going to attract the best players around. Like, there's no recruiter like Deion Sanders. And, 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 and if you give me that chance. So, I'll always wonder. We'll see what happens with, with uh, Coach Prime. He's going to make a decision on Sunday. But um, that's where they went with, uh, with Hugh Freeze, and, and we'll see what happens. So, Dan, leave us with that thought. What do you think – coach prime is going to do and where do you think where do you think he should go well he's certainly not calling to ask my opinion um but i'll give it unsolicited i'm asking Um, for it i'd love to hear it i would tell him to go to south florida he has a he has a colorado offer 
he he may have a Cincinnati offer, and he has a it's first of this whole thing's on he he's the best right he's completely unorthodox. Most of these coaches will not admit they're even thinking of going to another school, right? right. And then they just ghost the program. It's like oh I'm out of here, just leave. And and you know Dion's like yeah I got offered Colorado I'll talk to him on Sunday I'm uh I'm good I'm gonna give it I mean you know, I I, I want him to come out with a table and have like three hats. And do like you know, do the signing day thing. I'm so pissed! Um, you took my line. I was going to say that to you. That's exactly what I want to see happen. <laughs> do it, Jackson State. Am I staying? Am I going? And he can even fake it. It'll be great. Um, I think South Florida. I know Colorado's a Pac-12 job, but he's from Fort Myers. He's a legend in Florida. Every kid in the South knows what he's been doing at Jackson State. There's so many players down there. Um, he's so close to Atlanta. And the AAC is it's not power five, but we don't really have power five anymore. In two years, there's six leagues are going to get a shot at the playoff. You got an NFL stadium. You got this big, huge diverse city and this big, diverse campus, and it's growing. Deion Sanders at South Florida is going to make waves. Deion Sanders wherever is going to make waves. But, man, Colorado is a long haul. It's also cold up there. And um, I don't know how much he likes, like, you know, cold. Like he could be in Florida riding around his golf cart, like trick out a golf. I mean, it just fits down there. So I'd go to South Florida, but let me tell you what, he's going to do whatever the heck he wants, and it's probably going to work out. Hey, why does anybody do anything because they can? So, Dan, are you going to roll out early in the morning tomorrow with your bush light and rock your USMNT gear? Are you feeling that? <laughs> And is it too early I, uh, to crack a beer, or is it never too early to crack no, a beer? No, it's never too early. Probably not. Probably too early for me tomorrow. I got some other responsibilities, but I highly encourage all Americans tomorrow to start consuming as early as possible a good uh, United States of American brewed beer. A show icon, James, my man. What's going on? What is up, brother? Real quick, Jim. Oprah's producer should have been like, uh, when Drew comes up on stage, just go lick that chocolate right off his face. I know we all think Ritt looks like the head coach of the Denver Donkeys, but Albie, you look like the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. You're both short, wear black glasses, and you both have huge balls. Speaking of balls, what the hell's up with the Buffalo Bills coaching staff last night? Plain as if they were down 20 with three minutes to go in the first half. Was the play calling like, hey, let's get Josh Allen decapitated on three. Brick. Oh, and Matt Patricia has so much lead in his penis. He can hang it from his ear and call it a pencil. Finally, Jim, I know there's some term in soccer called the equalizer. I just hope the Dutch get beat by the great equalizer. That's right, James Kelly. Diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. War the Dutch going DK Mudcap all over the piach. Come on! No. You don't like that call. Good night now!